0: You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. And all that's
1: winners is gold, only shooting stars break the mold. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is part two of our talk and footy chat with Luke Garrity from the Rugby League Cemetery Podcast and Knights super fan, as well as I'm a jersey collector, which I didn't mention on the first intro, Luke. So, you know, you get that one on our, on our second part uh-huh. of the podcast. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you that Magic Round is my time to shine with with jerseys. So I wore up my Western Reds jersey, um, a really rare Knights one, and my Gold Coast Giants jersey. And I'll tell you, being at Magic Round in those old jerseys, you get a real experience of what it must be like to be like a hot chick. Because you walk around and all you see is these middle-aged blokes staring at you, then tapping their mates and staring at you. And then you look at them <laughs> and they catch you looking and they look away really sharply. And then you, you look away and you look back and they're looking again. Um, it's like you look at the whole weekend and then occasionally someone will come up and try and start a conversation. And you're like, this must be it, it like just constantly people just darting their eyes at you and uh, tapping looking. And it's, um, it's quite the experience.
1: How many jerseys did you bring with you to uh, Magic Round?
0: Well, I took four because there's only three days and I one on the way up. But um, left about 160 at home. You know, I couldn't quite fit them all in the carry-on.
1: <laughs> so for everybody, you know, the first topic of part two of this podcast it's got to be which jerseys did Luke wear at Magic Round? So, which were you for? Which ones made the cut for this year? Uh,
0: Western Reds. Oh, so I, I wore I wore my 94 Emus Australian jersey up there, then wore my World Club Challenge Newcastle Knights one off jersey that they wore in 02 World, in the World Club Challenge for the Knights Day. Uh, Gold Coast Giants on Saturday to out and then to the pubs after, which was an experience. And um, Western Reds on Sunday. So, it's a good set.
1: Western Reds, Cash Converters, Western Reds. Cash
0: Converters, Western Reds, yeah. Oh, okay. Western
1: Reds, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Two defunct it's,
0: franchises. That's it. That's right. <laughs> uh,
1: look, part one, we hit on a lot. We spoke about uh, Magic Round and a 9-10 to 10 round review as well. Uh, i touch on a lot of the teams. Spoke about Adam Reynolds and Souths letting him go and what he's doing at Brisbane. We talked about the Bulldogs and the Barrett sacking and where they go to from here. But... First topic off the, off the bat for round two and part two of this podcast we're Talking Footy, players faking injury. Something that happened in round nine, highlighted by Lodge, who afterwards admitted that he faked it, but he did it to get the win. Um, Chitty that was in the bunker, got dropped for magic round because of that. Uh, and for those that don't know or don't recall, uh, Lodge stayed on the ground um, down 20 to 18 um, in very kickable range. Uh, and it turned out that Corey Horsborough had touched his face. With no force or anything like that, but it did touch his face. Chitty got uh, dropped because the bunker came in, intervened and gave him the penalty, which ended up being 20-all and ended up winning the game. The thing with that was the rules that some people probably don't know is that the bunker can only uh, get a penalty awarded in that instance if they think it's a reportable offence. Uh, but it's a bit of a cop-out, even that scenario, because as as we know, Luke, the bunker can say it's a reportable offence and the match review committee just throws it out anyway because they have to ultimately decide on it. So, you know, it's, it's really come to the fray the last two years, but it was really highlighted with that Lodge example. The last couple of years, players are staying down and they're staying down because they're getting a result from it. And the result for the Warriors, like Lodge said, is that they won. Now, a lot of people have smashed Lodge about it. I I really don't like it. It it does say a little bit about the character, you could argue. But at the same time, you know, there is a lot of guys that have been very good um, competitors. Like Paul Gallen comes to mind in the past as well, where people sort of hate his attitude and how he plays. But he's doing it because he does what he has to do to win. You know, and if you've got that in your club, and your team, you kind of don't want guys to step away from that because you want to win games. And as long as it's not anything that's illegal, you're kind of doing everything to win. So there's kind of an argument to say, well, it's not Lodge's fault. It's the administration's fault for allowing him to play like that. And we talked a little bit about this, Luke, um, a few weeks ago, not with yourself, but with one of the other guests on how uh, it's the NRL's fault not the players or the coaches, if they think that they're exploiting rules because they're making rules that are allowed to be exploited. And you know, we obviously need a solution because I know I don't like seeing players fake injury or stay down, but I doubly don't like it when they get rewarded for it. So what do you think the solution is? How do you feel about you know things like with the Lodge incident a couple of weeks ago and players staying down and getting the calls?
0: Yeah, no one likes it. Um, I don't blame Lodge whatsoever. In fact, I would be absolutely ropeable if a Newcastle Knight didn't stay down in that situation. I really would. (laughs) Um, Like, I I was fuming a few weeks ago when the Knights were talking about their defence and. O'Brien was talking about how they want to be a team that stay on their feet and don't flop when decoy runners run into them. They want to stay on their feet and keep trying to tackle and move. And I was like, it's just so stupid. Someone runs into you, dive, because the bunker, as soon as they sees it, if the other team scores, the bunker will pull it up every time. And, and that's, you know, if, as long as the bunker does that, you should bloody dive every time a decoy runner hits you. And as long as the bunker will intervene and give you a penalty, you should stay down every time you get hit in the head. Particularly when you're down by two with a couple of minutes on the clock, <laughs> yeah, like right. Jesus, like, it, like it, seriously, like the Knights, you know, the Warriors aren't any good, so it's similar to the Knights. So we've, we've we lost eight in a row until last week. If we were if we were down by two points to the Bulldogs with a minute to go and one of our players got clocked in the head and didn't stay down, I'd just be furious, you know, because like that, I hate seeing it and I hate watching neutral games where it happens. But if the rule, as long as they reward it you're trying to win the game and the players should do what they've got to do to win. So I don't put it on the players at all. It's not the game going soft as in the players or anything like that. Um, it, it's, it's the way that the game's refereed and the way it's, it's legalized. They, they look for technical points all the time that they can take. It's become sort of like a, everything's written in this sort of legal way now where you're looking for this sort of textbook decision that applies to anything like, Oh, there was contact with the head. Therefore we intervene and, and, and whatever else. So, I don't like it but I absolutely the way the rules are I don't blame lodge at all and I'd be really annoyed if one of the knights didn't do that um,
1: he'd be a cult hero to... for life if they're if the warriors were in a grand yeah. final and that won yeah. them the grand final he would be a cold hero forever, and everyone would love him for doing oh, that. So, well, there you mean. go.
0: What would you want the Roosters to do at 20 to 18 with a minute to cove? They could hit heads, you know? Get the stretcher it's, out, stretcher. Yeah. stretcher. Like, that's it. Like, well, there's your standard. I know it's an easy trope to say we don't want this to decide a grand final, but flip it and go in reverse and be like, And the way it's efficient, if you want to bag Lodge, flip it in reverse and say to yourself, like, what would you want the guy on your team to do in the grand final? Would you rather just lose to hold your honor of not having done it? Um, Not for me. But that said, I do hate it. Um, Everyone hates it. Dane Laurie's the worst I can think of. He was doing it last year like it was going out of fashion. I don't mean to pick on him, but it's like five times where it was like he might have got like flicked in the head lightly like, like literally I, I don't think it could have um he might not have felt it if someone touched him that hard when he was asleep and like, <laughs> he would not and, have and, woken and up he, no he wouldn't have woken up and and he went down a few times um i, I think firstly i would just be a bit more uh, i would probably the rule should catch it if it's refereed properly and the bottom line is i don't think they need to react too hard because the, the lodge one was a mistake that wasn't a reportable offense no way no one watching that could think he was going to get problem, suspended. It's and, true. And no one could think that. No way. That that was an error. If you apply that rule properly and actually put them on reportable offences, that just is not a reportable offence. It was a mistake.
1: I think Chitty Getting Dropped sort of sends a message to, to yeah. not sort of exploit that loophole a little bit. But well, yeah. the problem is that there's still plenty that are reportable offences that don't get cited by the match review committee in those circumstances. So yeah. there is... There is still room. Like that might fix it a little bit, um, but there Mm. is still room. And look, for me, you know, the solution isn't going to be something the NRL is ever going to do, um, especially with my thing with it was, and I've said this a lot of times before, you know, you can't just blanket say if you touch someone's head, it's a penalty because people's heads in a game of rugby league, if anyone's ever played it, your head would have been touched by the opposition about 150 times in 80 minutes. You know, it, it always happens inadvertently whatever way, shape or form. You know, you go going to grab someone's shoulder jersey, you brush their face a little bit or whatever. You know, it doesn't mean that that's a penalty just because your head got touched. You know, if you put a face of makeup on before a rugby league game to see whether it would get smudged during the game, there'd be nothing left on your face at the end of it. And that's not because you're getting hit in the head um, with high tackles and stuff that needed to be penalties. You know, it's, it's one of those things though where, Even um, on review at times, if there's enough of a touch on the head that it can result in something happening, and that's what happened with the Lodge one. The solution for me, Luke, and this is really a good solution for rugby league, and again, it's going to be one that they don't like in NRL headquarters. They need to referee the game like they have an understanding and a feel for the game and rugby league you know, and whether it's ex-players in there or even just allowing some of the referees who so you know full well they shouldn't be making the calls that they're making, but they've got to do it because they've got a black and white rule book. Let them just make calls, you know, in the 80s and the 90s and stuff. That's what they did, right? That's why Hollywood Harrigan was such a character. You know, he, he made his own calls and he told, he told everyone what his decisions were and why, and sometimes it was pretty funny. But at the end of the day, he understood rugby league and he called it like he saw it. And he would have said in that instance... You're milking it, mate. You're barely touched. That's not a penalty sufficient. Get up, you know. And that's kind of, I think, where we need to get to because I reckon that we've gone, you know, where we were at in the 80s and 90s probably wasn't optimal, and especially with head injuries and how they are now, we we can't be sending that some of those messages. But we've kind of gone a whole a real rugby league thing where we've jumped on all the way to the other side of the spectrum, and said this is where we want to plan ourselves as far as far away as possible. And anybody knows with anything that you don't want to be in either end of the spectrum. You want to be in the middle. That's where you're aiming for. So I kind of think that if they just got some subjectivity in there, if they just sort of took the reins off a little bit, unchained the officials and said, you know, if you understand rugby league, you know, adjudicate it like it's rugby league. So then they could kind of say, you know what? This guy's face got touched, but it wasn't anyone's fault. It wasn't malicious and it wasn't high and it was never going to hurt anyone. That's not a penalty sufficient, you know, like now when we say whether it's reportable sufficient, we should all be saying, is it even penalty sufficient at times? The crushes are a great example, Luke, you know, guys just go down and grab their neck now because they know if, even if they put themselves on the ground or someone ends up on top of their back, it's just going to get blown and, and guys get suspended for it. And it's just ridiculous. It should be really easy to see that that's happened, and for guys and for you know the officials just to have the balls to be able to call it out, but also for the NRL to back them to do it. You know, to me that's the only way that you're going to get around this. But it's obviously not something that I think the NRL is going to adopt anytime soon.
0: No, probably not. Um, they're too into having measurable things, black and white rules that just apply. Over and over because they don't really trust the officials to do that sort of stuff. Um, You know, it it is a hard one with the head stuff because they have to be seen to do something about it. And and obviously, they don't want people to be hit in the head and and they're not prepared to trust the referees to do that. But a a large thing that, a a large bugbear for me, look, it's slightly off the topic, but it comes back to it is that, you know, if you're trying to discourage head contact, which is what the, the reason they're going so hard at that is to discourage head contact, which even though it's the wrong way to do it and it doesn't help it, uh, the goal is is sensible. Yep. Um, is they just, what, what really bugs me in the games, and I was only watching it on the weekend, is that you see these copybook low tackles that we think of from back in the day, the round the hips tackles and round the legs like proper legs tackling where you slide in and, and get them around the waist and down the legs and bring them down. Every time someone does that, they get demanded to roll away if they hold on, they get penalised. They get demanded to roll out of the rock and there's no markets. And if you want to encourage people to, like, to tackle lower and make this happen less often, which would be a big start in stopping people diving and everything is if people weren't hitting them in the head, um, is that there's no incentive at the moment to tackle anyone low, like at all. And you get penalised for it. Some of the Some of the best hits... And you see it in a crowd like Magic Round, where you've got forty thousand people there who know the game. Like these people showed up because they like football enough to watch three games in a day or eight games in a weekend. You know, like they're not casual fans, and and they watch. And everyone's clapping a tackle by Jake it 's or something where his legs someone. But the referees going, get off him, get off him, get off him. And the other team, they're telling off on the other team's taken off down the field. Yeah there's no markers and the attacks off quickly. And that that's one of the real places they fall over on their attack on high tackling is they're obsessed with penalizing incidental head contact um, that actually can't be helped sometimes, but do nothing to actually really encourage players to lower their targets. Because a lot of the time, if you look back decades, people were tackling lower because you you used to get rewarded for tackling people lower down and, and you just don't anymore. If they, if you get them to the ground quick and they're on their stomach, they just tell you to get off and, and they need referees to understand that's a really good tackle, a hard tackle to make and a good tackle on a big player and that there is absolutely no way they should have to just roll sideways and be, and be punished for it. And if you actually do encourage that sort of thing, you will find people lowering their targets and that that you will have less head contact without having to have all these silly incidental sort of punishments for stuff that's an accident and isn't hurting anyone.
1: Well, in, in many instances, it is the most effective and efficient tackle that you can make. And also the most technically sound tackle, if you can pull those off correctly, it is much harder to do that than to just hit someone around the ball and hold them, uh, which is why you know, back in my day and probably in yours too, when you're a kid, the first thing you learn is how to do, tackle people around the legs. And yeah. you used to learn how to do that, and that was the main skill. And it was because it was a way to get guys to go down quickly um, and also, like you said, you were given a lot more leniency if you did a legs tackle. Me and Perth, so in the last and Footy podcast, the Legend Rewinder, which we'll have one tonight, so don't worry everyone, uh, but Legend Rewind was for Steve Menzies, and I made the point, the point, you know, that he scored so many tries that other parts of his game weren't um, loved enough, and one of them was the fact that he was a great bootlace tackle guy that would <laughs> grab guys around the ankles and get them straight down to the ground. Um, and he was very effective at doing that. You, you're right. I 100% agree with you. You don't see that anymore and it's not rewarded. And there was actually an example in Magic Round. And I was trying to remember when you were talking on who it was, but I, I can't with well, actually said in commentary, you know, he's been tackled and the, the referee actually said it, um, that he's been tackled around the legs. You've got his leg and there's no one on top. He's, he's earned the right for a quick play the ball. And it's like, how have you earned the right for a quick play of the ball because someone has dominated you in a tackle by taking you around the ankles, snapping them from underneath you, and putting you, you know, belly first onto the ground one on one?
0: You know, to me, that's that that was a good tackle for a hundred years. And now it's like he earned the right to play it quick, and you need to be out of the play, you can't get up to marker. It's yeah. bizarre.
1: It really is. It yeah. is. And so I 100% agree with you. Um, and look, it's something that they do need to fix, but I don't think that they are going to like the sorts of things they need to do to fix it. And it's probably, it's probably actually a really good microcosm of all of the NRL rules and where it's out at, at the moment and where they need to kind of go on a lot of it. But let's move on. Um, Foreign has signed with the Titans. It's probably not the best week to talk about it because I think that he looked <laughs> a lot better the week before last when he had a, a terrible performance that we spoke about in, in part one of this podcast when we reviewed Manley's 38 nil capitulation to the Broncos. But – I have to say, like initially, like a lot of people didn't like it because I think the report came out foreign signs for seven hundred and fifty thousand. And everyone was like, <laughs> Oh no, not another massive foreign contract. Of course the Titans did that. That's terrible management. And I actually said to a couple, hang on, hang on, hang on, that's the total. It's over two years. So I actually quite liked it because three hundred and seventy-five thousand over two years, um, I, I think is a is a decent amount to pay. And I think especially for someone like foreign, if you're gonna pay him that and you're a club that is probably not a top eight team and is having struggles, you know. You generally say you need to probably pay a little bit overs. Um, He's leaving, um, you know, Sydney again, where he probably doesn't want to. So, you know, it's 375 to me was fair, Luke. Um, My assessment of it might be different to yours, but I'll say that I've never been a massive Huron foreign fan. Um, I I always liked him, but I always felt that he got a little bit overrated. Um, He obviously could never be like your number one half, in any scenario Uh, he also missed a lot of games he also was always on big contracts which wasn't particularly fair to have a go at him about it was just how it ended up you know it wasn't value for money because he he got paid too much by clubs that made mistakes with what they gave him but he's now actually been playing a lot of his games he hasn't been hurt Um, and he got signed for a very reasonable amount of money at 375k in only two years as well so I actually think it's pretty smart business by the titans and I'll finish it up by saying why, even though he's not looking very good at the moment, um, performance-wise, right? The Titans currently have a spine of of, of Sexton, AJ Brimson, and uh, Campbell at fullback, and their hooker is Aaron Clark, but I'm going to say pretty much placeholder there. Uh, they, they've got no experience in their spine whatsoever, not very much experience in their team either, uh, and it's something that they definitely need. Like I've said for a while, that side needs experience, and I don't mean older than the boot back rowers experience that are going there to retire on some super. I'm talking about non Kevin Proctor type scenarios where you're going to get older guys in your spine. that are going to be able to make a difference and be able to influence and help this young spine that they do have there because guys like Campbell, uh, even Sexton has showed some things, even though he's not performing that well this year. um, He has shown some stuff and they've put all their eggs in the Sexton basket to be the half of the future. And and people like AJ Brimson have, have represented state of origin already. So They've got the young guys there, Luke. I do think that someone like Foran is missing. I'm going to throw a real way out thing here, though. Yeah, I'd love to see him play hooker because a lot of his deficiencies and things that are kind of coming up and creeping up on him with his age now. Uh, because, you know, his lateral movement and some of his speed and stuff, it's not quite there anymore, which is sort of granted. But he's still a massive competitor, which is going to be great for their locker room and for their on-field stuff to influence the young guys. Uh, and he's a pretty hard sort of character, and he plays uncompromising, which I love. Him at nine, it could actually be a revelation. and could, could make him an even better signing for a couple of years and for his career to be extended as well. So what do you make about the foreign signing, its value to the Titans, and
0: my far out you know maybe put him at 9 for a while <laughs> well there's a couple of questions there um i'll well i'll start by saying that um without saying whether it will be any good for them that he's going i'll start by it shows what a ridiculously poor organisation they are that they think they need to sign an experience half this year just honestly goes to show how absolutely pathetic mal And their coach have got this. I can't go harder on that. They have no idea what they're doing at all. And that's not on because they're signing for, and it's the circumstances that lead them to need to sign for. And they they may, they, they last year were, they had holes in their team and they weren't perfect, but they had a real lot of upside to their attack and they had some real ability, and they went into the finals, and they were so close to going to week two. like what, what, Just an unfathomable error away from going to the week two of the finals. And over the off-season, their answer to that was that they released their halfback and captain, who, all right, he hasn't played a a million NRL games, but he is an experienced player. He's got a lot of experience across the NRL and the level below, and was a mature age half in Fogarty. He was on contract this year. And cheap. He he was not expensive and he was on contract. They released him to get a better deal from Canberra. Um, And it was immediately obvious this year from the second they played that that was just stupid because they have looked so bad all year all year, they've looked terrible, running this um, chaotic mix of Sexton, who is really, really a long way from where he needs to be as a half at the moment in terms of steering a team around. He's clearly got abilities as a footballer, but he's nowhere near ready to steer his side around. Um, they played him with Brimson, who has barely played 5A at NRL level. He came through there, but barely played there. They, Within a month of that, they had panicked and moved Brimson back to fullback. Within two weeks of that, they've panicked. They moved him back to 5'8 and bought Campbell back. And Campbell was available last weekend not play and is now back again. And they've made, so they've made three or four changes to their spine and are now going out of their way to sign an experienced half, which is what they started with. They had that. He was on contract. Fogarty was on contract to play there this year. Fogarty is a better player now than foran is. He hasn't had the career foran has. He's not as good at foran as his peak. But he's a better halfback than Kieran foran is right now. I can tell you that. Because foran you know, like, Foren has a zero this year in an 80-minute performance in Supercoach if you want to guide. And you can, it's very difficult to do that. He didn't get sent off. He has an actual zero in a game. <laughs> like oh, seriously, like, that's the level of input he's had in some of Manly's games. And that game didn't have Tom Treblevich in it. So in a game where they didn't even have Turbo, he managed to score a flat zero. Like he just did like not even without him was he doing anything with the ball. He has five try assists for the season and two tries in ten in ten games. He he's not contributing attacking stats. He's not the main half. He's not even the second best player in his spine. He's the third best player in his spine. And I don't have a problem with them signing him for that money. I really don't. I don't think that's a terrible thing to do and it won't hurt them. In But the problem with the media is they can't sit here and look at things in a bigger picture. It's only what's happening today. Oh, they signed four and he's experienced. That's good. It's like what about that? They never would have had this problem if they didn't make some mad decision to release their on-contract halfback who was on cheap money to back in a whole spine of kids and then be shocked at round ten that the spine of kids weren't that good. I actually were still, struggling for direction.
1: I would still argue though that look I agree with you on that and I think the majority of people now agree with you. Um and I, I've already had a whole two segments in the last month saying why the Titans are a basket case and why Holbrook isn't a good coach and a lot of other things that weren't very nice to the Titans fans. So I don't want to be too nasty, but um I I agree with you on on the whole, you know, putting all the bas- eggs in the basket of Sexton and how they let Fogarty go. But I'd argue even if Fogarty was still there, that Foran is needed. Uh, and it's not just the on-field stuff. Like, I actually think that he's played some good games for Manly in the last year, which I didn't expect from him, like better than I expected. He's all, all obviously played some bad ones too. But you know, his, his attitude and competitiveness on the field and certainly, on the, you know, with training and um and all
0: that sort of stuff.
1: They they do need that anyway, I think.
0: Like well, can I ask you then? What what he like those are like those points, why would they why did the Bulldogs go so badly? Like the Bulldogs couldn't win a game with him there. And he's so he's when he's gone to poor clubs, he went to the Warriors and they weren't any good. And he went to the Bulldogs and they weren't any good. So why years on will him going to the Titans improve them? Because it hasn't worked for any other bad club he's gone to. If he's only ever been able to do something fitting in Manly around other great players, he's never lifted any other team to any any height above well, they I, weren't. You know.
1: I don't. I don't think he's going to lift into a premiership, but I think that he's going to improve them. Um, you know how much he improves them, I don't really know. But that's where the money comes into it, right? And that's how I sort of half answer your question. You know, with those clubs, he was on a large chunk of the salary cap. You know, a really large chunk. Yeah you know, more than double what he's on at the moment for this that's time true. still. So you, you obviously put that money elsewhere and you're also looking at value per dollar. But the second thing too is that he was injured for literally 50% of those games. So, mm-hmm. and he's not at
0: the moment, like yeah. he's not getting hurt. Well, th- that's true. Okay, so my second objection to it, because <laughs> that's the first one. <laughs> the first one is not an objection to the to the buying. It's an objection to the narrative that they're doing something clever when they already had this sorted. Like this was like, they could have had an experienced half this year. Um, my second one is who's not playing in the halves next year? Well, let's assume they're not doing your hooker thing because I like I I'd actually don't think it's a terrible idea to probably be a hooker but I, they haven't signed him to pay um, No, no. so if we, if, if we assume it's not happening, are they dropping Campbell or are they dropping Brimson? Because Campbell is like 20 years old and has quite a lot of ability he's, he's very raw but he has you know, he's got a quite a lot of talent quite clearly. Brimson you know, he's played state of origin and he's um, not an elite fullback or five, eight, but he's certainly a uh, second tier fullback. And, you know, I haven't seen much of him at five, eight. That's impressed me, but given how good he can play at fullback, we might assume that you can give him time to work five, eight out. So who's, is, is Kieran being, are they dropping Sexton for Foran? Like what, what's the side? I, I, that's one thing I don't quite understand is that uh, because I mean, Campbell and Brimson aren't going to stay there to play 14 or off the bench. So is he playing for Sexton? And if so, why did they get this so wrong? Like how did Sexton go last year from, we're going to like let our captain leave early within 10 weeks. He's now what? Not going to get picked over four? I, I don't really understand where, where they've picked him to play.
1: Yeah. I think that they've, got a couple of different options Um, but look it is a byproduct by the fact that they've they've managed the roster poorly and Holbrook has made some poor decisions Um, but he already has dropped Campbell um, at times this year already he he was injured
0: first but he was injured in the first place but he he didn't pick him straight away when he's fit but he was injured when he was out the first time so it's hard to he he got hurt then when he was fit he he didn't get picked for a week or two they made him come back so like it's I don't know that he's been left out, but he won't stay if they don't pick him. I'll have him in Newcastle if he will He's really <laughs> he's, got a, he's got some holes in his game. He's not quite where every, everyone's a bit high on him because he does some silly stuff, but he's got a lot of ability. And are they now saying that having four and for two years is worth losing him or Brimson? And I'm going to assume it's not. So is it for Sexton? In which case, how in 10 weeks do you go from you are the halfback and we think you can waltz into a semi final side and just, lead it now to you're not going to play for two years because that's one of them's not playing that's I can't see that that's the only other thing is I don't see if Fogarty had to go because he wasn't going to get picked well who's not getting picked now because it's someone you know like you have to pick these only three spine positions outside of hook it you can pick someone that's all and I I find it odd I I don't see their team at round one next year I can't I, I can't put together a team that everyone will be happy with in those positions because one of them is just not getting picked and they're not going to stay there. Well, you've got Um, the
1: year for that to play out and and sort of see how guys perform and how they go. Um, The other thing too is that AJ Brimson's constantly been hurt, had back issues. Um, So I I think... I kind of think that they... like, I get I get where you're coming from, and I would actually agree with you and think it was a silly signing if it was for six hundred thousand.
0: Yeah, but because yeah, it's, it, it's, it,
1: it's yeah. I, I mean, like I'm going to use Newcastle as an example for you. Like I think Adam Clunes on two hundred fifty thousand or two hundred sixty thousand or something like that. You know, if you're paying, <sighs> <laughs> but he was he was signed to be a backup, right? And yeah, that's yeah. that's fine. Like you can give. You know, two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand to your backup or to one of your top backups in, in second grade. You know, you, you do that because you need that sort of depth. You know, that's fine. So, I mean, if you're paying three hundred seventy-five k to for and you know he ends up being, you know, you, you you can't play him or whatever. Like for that sort of money, you just sort of take a punt, I think, and it's not that yeah. bad a punt to take because you're no, not paying him not enough. No, it's not the you know? end of the world.
0: No, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. It, it's not something I'm not hugely critical of the signing. I just don't. I don't. Under, I don't think they have planned well. And I think this is like, I don't think that this is some great pickup that fits a hole they've got. I think it's evident that they have not planned well, that that, like you said, you've got a year to play it out. That tells me to me, they don't know what their spine is next year. Um, And they've now got four players to fit in three spots. It says to me they haven't planned ahead. They've had to go and grab whatever experience is available because they haven't planned ahead for what the team's going to look like or they don't know what the team's going to look like. And I think that's a product of some touchy decision-making now over a two-year period, probably three. probably goes back to David Fafita, who I'm a really big fan of, so I won't get get into him. That's a really good idea. Why don't they put Ford on
1: the edge when Fafita leaves?
0: Yeah, well, that's right. (laughs) It's like it, it goes back to his, you know, Signing him for that much money as well, which is so unfair on him because I think he's a really good player. But like some of the decisions they've made around where they've put their money and then who they've let go and who they've kept and everything, it just hasn't made sense. And this is another example that, to me, it says they don't know where they're going and they don't have a plan for what it's supposed to look like. They're just like, oh, well, we'll get him. He might have to fit in. Who for? Well, I don't know. One of them won't play. That's so all which one, Like, the, you know, good teams. Like, the Roosters knew, like, three years ago that Sam Walker was coming, you know? Like, and they were plotting when he might get there and how they might need Flanagan for a year because this guy was coming through. And all these sorts of things were plotted out really sensibly. And the Storm were like, Smith's going to retire, so we're just not letting go of Grant and, um, and Brandon Smith. And we'll just keep him as long as we can and we'll wait as long as we can and make a decision on who looks best. And all these sorts of things over the time, they're, they're working all this stuff out and ahead of time. And the Titans, to me... Are a team at the moment that doesn't know what they're supposed to, where they're going, doesn't have that firm plan over what it's going to look like and are just grabbing things and working it out as they go. And I don't think it's smart football. And and following a club that does that all the time in Newcastle, it reeks of it. I just don't think they know where they're going. But I don't disagree with you that Kieran Foreign, I don't think Kieran Thorne's that bad of a signing on that money, but... Is you know, I think it shows they don't have much idea what their team should be doing.
1: I 100 yeah. agree on the Titans, but I do like the yeah. foreign signing. Um, a reasonable amount actually for 375k for two years. Um, there is another signing that's actually going to make their debut this weekend, and that is Anthony Milford for your Newcastle Knights. Uh, I've got my thoughts on it. Um, I, I do like. That he's coming back this weekend for this matchup,
0: <laughs> which
1: it's such a rugby league thing. Like it always happens. It's like, oh, what are the chances that he gets to debut and play against his ex club? And it's like, well, it's fairly manufactured a lot of the time. But you know, it's it just it does always happen in rugby league. You know, and you can you know put money on. You know, there's a decent chance he ends up getting a try or something, or, or he just does something even insignificant. And they're going to go on about how how he's uh, haunting the Brisbane Broncos if Newcastle win. But, you know, look, it's great. It's great theatre, It's great promotion. It's great marketing. But on a real rugby league perspective, you know, I, I sort of thought that it was a decent signing. We chatted about it um, months ago now, but it was sort of like well you know, a little bit similar to foreign even but in a different way you know you're going to pay him nothing and if he doesn't work out you know it doesn't really matter too much um, even if you have to drop him to reserve grade it's not really going to matter too much so it, it's probably going to add something and the newcastle knights are losing um he can provide spark he can play some some other off the cuff footy that maybe newcastle lacks so I, I kind of like it and i do like it that he's playing against the broncos this weekend as well because i think that he, if he's going to be up for any game surely it's going to be up for this one even though he hasn't been playing
0: yeah, I like it. Um, it made sense. We're really short of class in the in the spine. Um, Anthony, the thing with Anthony Milford is, look at his best. You know that you know, we're probably not going to get that, but you know he's twenty seven years old. He's not ancient, and his best football is you know would be phenomenal. And at his worst, I, I always think that look at his worst at Brisbane. I don't think he was actually bad. He was just not doing a lot and was on a lot of money, and, and that might sound like a silly thing to say, but what I mean is, I don't think he was ever actively bad for them. I don't think he was booting all these balls out of the on the full and throwing balls behind people and stuff. He was just not able to have the influence he, he would want. So, at his worst, I don't think he's like going to come in and make all these calamitous errors all the time and really set Newcastle back. I think he'll either be really positive if he can be sparky and do something with the ball, or he'll just not do a lot. And when he's replacing, you know, Tex Hoy or replacing um, Clifford in the form he was in, not doing a lot might even be better than what they were doing. <laughs> so, like they, they were, you know, Tex Hoy last week kicked the ball out on the full, out the back. Like he went to try and kick a chip kick from the 40 metre line, like in the attacking 40 and kicked it dead on the full. That's how bad <laughs> he's going. He, he kicked two seven tackle sets from Just kicking it like where he kicked it into the in goal on the full, and someone caught it from 40 out. One of them went dead on the full, like that's the standard of replacement we're at. And Clifford's been dropped because he played the worst two games I've ever seen a half play in the NRL, it was that bad. Um, so at worst, he'll be ineffective, which will be an improvement, and at his best, he'll be very good. So I think it's a good, I think it's a good pun. He'll be hungry, he wants a contract. If he goes well, we can. We've got a lot of money free, so we can put the heat on and try and at the very least screw Wayne over by jacking his price up for Redcliffe <laughs> um, or at best keep him, you know. And at his worst, then we'll get uh, – he's here and we can leave him out and there's not a lot of harm done, right? Like if he comes in he doesn't go any good and we drop him, What I don't – what have we lost? We're not going – we're coming second last. He's – you know, we don't have any spine players it's worth a go. It's something to be excited about. You know, I'm going to watch and I hope he he goes well.
1: (laughs) He's young enough as well. Like it's one of the other things too, that he's not old. So, you know, he is young enough. And like a good current example of someone who might be um, out of a contract in the NRL is is Matt Dufty, right? Like
0: Mm.
1: what you said before is very true that a lot of fans need to remember. Anthony Milford was never bad enough that he was going to be out of the NRL. He was just bad enough to be terrible value for the contract that he was on. So yeah. he was always going to get signed again, you know, and you know, Bryce Cartwright's another example. You know, he was terrible for the Titans on 850000 but he's been a really good signing as an end-of-the-bench player for Parramatta on the minimum salary, and he was always going to get picked up by someone, it seemed. Um, but yeah. Matt Dufty, you know, ha- different to Milford, he has been on bigger money before, not that big, but um, he's actually played his way out of the NRL, you know, because what he has done on the park has been bad enough at times for him not to give an NRL deal where Milford hasn't been that bad. It's just the money he was on was way too much.
0: Another good one's Moylan. When you look at Moylan this year, when he's playing for, bugger all whereas other years he's played for a lot and, and Moylan was once a very good player and he's not that player now but he's showing things this year that fitting into a system he's good enough to play and look the big thing with Milford will be is that he's not whilst you want him running and tackle busting he, he does he's an experienced player like he's played grand finals and internationals he's played origin he's played 193 games a lot of them have been in the halves and it gives another threat and someone with some experience to play with Ponga um, if he holds a couple of guys up because they're worried about Milford, and that gives Ponga some more space. And if he's a little bit better than some of the guys we've had already at knowing how to get at the Ponga, because he's actually, you know, played with with Darius Boyd's at Brisbane, and and you know, and, and Hunt, and played with other good players before, and it, then that will be beneficial to us. So I'm looking forward to see how he goes. I've got no expectation. I could go out and it could be um, not much good, and I'll live with that. But I think it's a punt worth taking at the moment because Newcastle's in a lot of trouble in their spine. No one else is coming in. Um, and if it works out, it'll be great. And if it doesn't, I just don't see what's been lost.
1: Yeah, and finish up by saying no downside on him, aside from if he turns up and has his head up his ass and is an absolute cancer in the locker room. That's probably the only problem. And it's hard to tell with him on how much of the attitude
0: issues are true or not, but we are going to see. Yeah, all the reports are that he's been trained really hard and looks good, and you might expect that because this, if you know, So there's two things to that. It's firstly that he has a bit of a point to prove, you know, and coming off what's happened is that he does have a point to prove now. And the second one is for all the talk that Wayne loves him and Wayne wants him at Redcliffe and everything else, they haven't actually signed him yet. Like as much as they're interested, they could have signed him Mm -hmm. now. He's available. They could have signed him the day that the Knights contract got ticked off. They haven't done that. Wayne's wanted to see how he goes first. (laughs) So he still needs to play well, you know, he, not only maybe he'll get it to Redcliffe anyway, but it might determine what money he goes on. You know, like having a really good month with Newcastle playing good football for the next few weeks might be the difference between a not getting a contract at all or b getting one for 200,000 or 500,000 um, very easily. So there is something there to play for and a reason for him to show up wanting this quite badly and maybe a little bit more than he wanted it when he was on a million bucks a year. At Brisbane. So we'll see. No expectation. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that game. It'll give me a point of difference and something to watch that will be less than the monotony of the terrible way Newcastle been playing this year. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, we'll also get to see Newcastle fans how vindictive Wayne Bennett does want to be because if you get a win or two in a row and Milford looks okay, we'll see how quickly. He wants to sign into an oh. Overs contract to make him put his feet up and be real happy and get a little bit tubby again. But, you
0: know. Yep.
1: <laughs> um, look, need to take a quick break just to mention that the NRL All-Stars sponsor of this podcast, and that is Top Sport. You can go to topsport.com.au or download the app and punt with them today. They are 100% Australian-owned bookie, and they often have best odds in market, but great Australian-based service as well. Great odds for racing, great odds for sport, NRL. NBA playoffs at the moment. Jump on everything there because you'll get great odds on it. But if you like fantasy sports betting as well, they've got fantasy markets as well for the Supercoach Nuts too. You can bet on player performance markets on overs and unders on fantasy point scoring too, which is a lot of fun. I've been doing some of that lately. Uh, but if you are going to create an account, do so. Make sure you gamble responsibly, but make sure you use SC Stars as your promo code when you create your account today. They'll know you're one of our listeners and take great care of you. topsport.com.au. Get on them now. Luke, the Perth Bears push has just started. So I love this one. Uh, The the last few days it's been reported that the North Sydney Bears and a Perth consortium have um, looked at potentially locking horns and going into a push together to be the NRL's 18th team. Uh, I have said forever and a day the first expansion team that should have been put in should be Perth because the definition of expansion is actually expanding. And we're not expanding by putting other Queensland teams in down the road from Brisbane and and certainly nowhere near Sydney. So uh, to me, Perth was always the obvious one. It's a whole new market to expand into too. It is the way that you get new fans, not just existing fans and getting to put a different jersey on. Uh, so I love it. Um, but I never really saw the the Bears push coming, but it makes so much sense to me. So for me, Perth is a market Is already heaps of sense. You know, you can talk about the travel, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of travel to New Zealand Uh, going from um, even from Victoria up to North Queensland is a a long journey as well. So I don't think the travel is a big deal at all. It's not that much different to a few of the other big treks that we do in the NRL. But the other thing too with Perth is that we get great um, responses when we do play games out there. So it, it just makes so much sense. And now the Bears side of things. I think everybody's got a soft spot for the North Sydney Bears. I'm sure you've got some North Sydney Bears jerseys at home. But to, obviously, I would love to see the Bears back, but I've always been of the thought, you know, look, I really want to see them. Um, they're the Roosters' feeder club at the moment. I love that. But th- we can never have another Sydney team, Luke. You know, there's no way they can be North Sydney because we've got way too many Sydney teams already. So th- they just can't come back. And they just they can't even relocate to New South Wales. There's just no way. But, you know, you're going to have a point if they go together where, all of their away games you're going to get North Sydney supporters there they could even do a couple of promos where they play in a, in one at North Sydney Oval or something once a year and then you're going to get all the um, existing fans are you know watching those Perth games when they are over in Perth on TV so you're still going to have a Bears fan base already ready made there for Perth and then you're going to get all the new Perth supporters that are going to support the Bears and buy the merchandise and stuff from an established sort of club too so I think it's a great mix and it's a fantastic idea. I really, really hope it gets off the ground. But, you know, what's your take? Because to you, it's a new market, but it's also some great nostalgia that you'd be very fond of too with North Sydney.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really like the idea. Um, Obviously, look, uh, it's a bit of a grain of salt at the moment because just every time, every single time there is a new push. Out comes Greg Florimo with a speech, the Bears are ready and talking to whoever it is. They talking to the Gold Coast, you know, then they're talking to the Gold Coast when they're going to go under and they were talking about something in Brisbane. Then they were going to do a New South Wales country team, then Perth. It's, I don't know how serious this actually is at the moment. Um, PVL came out and said, it's a great, you know, idea and fans telling to bring back the Bears, but he loves saying anything that's popular and that will, be so popular with the Bears fans there there are so many out of them they're still there I'm in a Bears forum with all the old, old Bears fans and there are thousands of them and they still go to watch the reserve grade and they go to watch the flag and stuff and they put their old but there is a lot of Bears fans that that would come back um if but if you know I I will believe it when I see it but if they were to seriously consider this I do think it's a great idea um, you, you'd have to call them, I just think you'd call them the Western Bears would make sense um that would be the way to do it to keep yeah you couldn't way.
1: tell them that yeah you couldn't call them um sydney bears
0: of any sort no I mean, and, and, um, just western n- you northern you know, western, yeah yeah western north
1: bears or something maybe you've
0: just got to cut the sydney swans just cut south melbourne right like that's just how you do it you move area the south melbourne swans move to sydney if you support the swans you now support the sydney swans so if you, the western you mm. can import the heritage to over there and they can view them as the same club, but you just got to call them the Western Bears and, and in first grade anyway. And um, I, I think it would be a good idea. Look, I'm not that big on expansion myself, not – necessarily because I don't believe they should try and expand when it's going to work, but just because I, I am, I do have some concerns about the player pool, and um, I know the obvious thing to say is, oh, well, if you expand, there'll be more people playing and everything else. But I, I look at the state of some of the bottom teams at the moment, of which I will openly admit Newcastle is one, um, that didn't scream that we needed Redcliffe to come in. Um, you know, Redcliffe didn't come in. for Just for an example, that Newcastle, could have got Ponga cheaper and probably got a few of the Redcliffe players for next year and that some of those Redcliffe players would have gone to the Bulldogs and other clubs and maybe we could, you know, that that's how it should work. I think at the moment there's such a big gap that I do worry about more teams. That said, now that they've got 17, they're going to have 18 and I agree, I don't want an uneven number, so it will have to happen. Um, Perth makes sense in that respect. I think it's a it's a good market. I think the time slot works well because you can put day games on and and whatever. Sorry, I forget how it works. But whatever. I watch cricket there and it works out well time-wise. So don't quote me on how. But <laughs> if you put games on over there, it works out in the time zone here. I think it's the late-night games there maybe work out. Four-hour time difference, time yeah. Yeah, whatever it is. It always seems to work out okay. So it'll um work out well in that sense. I think they will get behind it. There's a lot of... um expats from South Africa and other places over there. So you've got mm. people that, even if that's not rugby league, it's a rugby background. So it's it's, it's an understanding of the sport. Um, there's people over there that will follow, you know, that sort of code and get behind it over time. And the the Bears, um, whilst they've stuffed up the the Redcliffe Dolphins, by calling them the Dolphins, and sort of, Removing the Redcliffe part. The big thing I liked about the original plan of having the Redcliffe Dolphins was in was having something new, but automatically being able to pour, import all these fans and this history into it. Yeah. Because Redcliffe is a very proud club. In you know, for for until the eighties, and even towards the nineties, the, the Brisbane Rugby League was as big as the Sydney comp. Really, it, until then, it was just as many good players came from there as came from here. So it was from a very big competition one of the proudest oldest clubs going around and being able to import that in if they hadn't screwed it up um would have been something that was really cool and gets rid of that new sort of tacky feel that can come in with new teams sometimes where they don't really take and they don't really belong to anyone Mm. and 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 the bears would go a long way to doing that as well like you wouldn't get these piddling crowds in sydney that you might get with this Perth side with no one anyone's ever heard of coming across you get rather than that you'd get all those North Sydney fans you were talking about going to the Sydney games um, which would be really cool so you get good crowds there and it would almost be like a Sydney derby because they have a lot of existing rivalries Um, you would absolutely play at least two games at North Sydney Oval Um, I think they would push for three or four but I think they'd probably have to concede um, if Perth are going to spend all the money, that might be too. Um, but you know, how good's back to Leichhardt? Like, uh, they look so cool on TV when that happens. And oh, I've been I about it, five yeah. of the Leichhardt games now. It's awesome. I wouldn't mind going this Friday actually. but I don't think I have time, but <laughs> it's um, it's such a cool thing. And everyone there is mad. Like all the Tigers fans from the eighties and nineties show up in their old, you know, old jerseys and the town is buzzing before and after. And it would be so cool to have that in North Sydney. Um, twice a year would be a real showpiece sort of event there um, to do. And you could put that on when they were playing Manly or something. We were their old rivals. You know, you could make sure it was a really good game for them. Um, and that would be really, really cool. And, and I think it all just makes sense. Uh, like I said, I, I just think, I've heard of this story before now, but in every context, I've heard it in the Gold Coast. I heard it in the Brisbane. I've heard the central New South Wales push, you know, so I'm not sold that it will happen, but I think that if they're going to have an 18th team, which they probably now need to do, given they've got 17, it makes a lot more sense than a second New Zealand team. Um, and if you take out a second New Zealand team, I can't think of any other options. So Perth, A is the right option, I think, if you're going to do it. And the Bears thing just gets rid of that tacky sort of, New vibe and becomes a team everyone can get behind. Like Perth gets this established brand with a proud history that mm. they can then make their own over time. In the same way Sydney did with the Swans, like Sydney Sydney people don't think of them as the South Melbourne Swans that that, that got important. That's their team, but they still held all their old fans in Melbourne. And I think that's a chance that you could have something like that here, where you do get the best of of both worlds. And 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 as an a fan of the sport, I would love to see the Bears back. I love the Bears. I do have a lot of Bears jerseys and they are a, a beautiful part of our history and they're not coming back in Sydney. Like you said, it's just unfortunately how it is. So when We we need less teams there and I don't advocate kicking more out, but we certainly can't put more in. Yeah, no,
1: you cannot. But it, I mean, I think they need to do it well. Look, you need to keep, yeah. keep and promote the heritage, keep the similar sort of logo and the colours. I think that's all really important. But if they do all that, look, I don't, I, I've never seen a better fit for an expansion team um, in, in many sports, to be honest. Like I didn't really thought, think about the Perth Bears, but the, the, when it came up, you know, I thought, wow, that really makes a lot of sense. The other thing too that's happened in the last decade is that you've got North Sydney fans already over there because in the last decade, especially either for property because, you know, Sydney prices are just awful or for, um Uh, work especially with the mining industry and things you've got quite a few sydney people that have actually moved over there and some of those people are going to be bears fans or or you know back in their family bears fans or some people are just going to be maybe they're a roosters fan or a, a south sydney fan or something like that but you know it's close enough to the bears that they would have known pretty well about the bears and they'll be malleable enough to really you know convert and still wear that gear and go onto it and you know be able to support them because even me like you know, if I went over there, I wouldn't be able to see Roosters games, but I've still got a real soft spot for the Bears. You know, it's just one of those brands that I think a lot of people have a fondness for. So I could get on board, you know, becoming a you know, North Sydney Bears are my secondary team, and I'm going to go to some of the home games and stuff in Perth. So it's yeah, it's just it's such a good fit that I hope that it happens because one of the things yeah. next year is that 17 teams means that someone's going to miss out on Magic Round. There's going to be an, an Indigenous Round with one team that doesn't take part in it. There's going to be all these other special rounds where a team's always going to miss out, and it's it's something that hasn't been spoken about enough about the planning. That to me, it had to go from 16 to 18, and if you couldn't do that when when Redcliffe were coming in, you delay it. You do it when you got two because. I think there's going to be a lot of problems having 17 teams.
0: I don't like having an uneven number. I wouldn't have had 18. I'd have kept it at 16. But if now that they've done 17, yes, they have to get 18 in relatively quickly. Um, it's going to be difficult because I mean Redcliffe are really struggling to sign anyone, and if you look at their roster at the moment, they're going to be flat out beating reserve grade teams. So hopefully they fix that. They really need to. Um, I think that it was. I think they both should have come in a year later. To be honest, I, I think it's shown that it was too short a time frame to build a roster. Um, because they're just really struggling to do that. Um, but look, that's done. So there's no point debating it now. And I, I think, yeah, that the sooner the better, if they're going to get it back to an even number. It should be the sooner the better. And I do think it makes sense. And what, what you said about um, sort of adopting a second side's right, and, and that, that to an extent happened a lot even in Newcastle. We, we weren't a established brand. But what you found is that when the night started, all these people that love footy in, in Newcastle that went for the Dragons or Parramatta or whatever – all went to the Knights and adopted them as their second team. And over time, you know, they're like the younger people adopted the Knights and that was their sort of team and all that sort of thing. But you did get a lot of those older people who just went there and cheered for the Knights as long as they weren't playing their one side as well. Because they were like, you know what? I'm in Newcastle and now all of a sudden I can go to like 12 games a year. It's just down the road and I can go watch them play all these teams and I'll yep. cheer for them because I'm from here, but I'm not necessarily giving up my, my Sydney side. So you'll absolutely get that. Anyone over there that follows the game will just adopt them as their second team and their kids and their family and everything will probably start going for them properly over time. You know, and they take their kids to the game, but their kids don't go for the Roosters. They go for, go for the Bears now and all that sort of stuff. So I, I think it's a great idea. Um, again, a grain of salt till I see some solid, something solid that are actually going to do it, but I really hope they do.
1: I hope they do too. Uh, look, next segment, we're going to go to the Legend Rewind. Where we put a spotlight on an old rugby league player that maybe some of the current fans might not remember or maybe they didn't get to watch or maybe they just like to reminisce if they're older. This week, we've got a Queensland legend. So I know that we've done some New South Wales origin players the last couple, uh, but this one is a, a Queensland legend. And he is, was one of my... Um, favourite uh, Queensland players through the 90s. I loved it, uh, and that was big Wendell Saylor, big Dell. He When he came through, uh, for me, Luke, he was uh, a new breed of back. You know, he kind of revolutionised what a winger did, uh, and it's been joked about many times, and Wendell's probably told the joke to death, but, you know, wingers were, were people that just hung around footy players. You know, they didn't really do much. You know, they'd sometimes fall over the line for some tries and things, and that was it, but he sort of broke that mould. He was one of those, he was a big, strong body, six foot, 305 kilo plus frame, damaging um, the size of the back rowers or bigger than a lot of the back rowers back then. He would come in and take these menacing hit ups. He absolutely belt blokes, but then he had so much speed and agility. He was one of those, for me, in my memory, he's one of the first real athletes, like, uh, you know, Olympic style sprinter that had the size, the muscles, but the speed and everything. And he was just such a great combination. But when you look at his accolades, over his career, he played 229 games, uh, but he scored 139 tries over those games. So with the size of him and how much brute strength he had sometimes, you kind of you know, might be forgiven for if you didn't see his career, thinking he didn't score a lot of tries. But he 139 tries in 229 NRL games, but he also played 16 games for Australia where he scored 17 tries, uh, played a heap of games for Queensland as well at 14. Um, And he just, he he hasn't played as many games in league because he's one of those few people that had a really good cross-code career where he went across to rugby union and he actually played 37 games for the Wallabies and he scored 13 tries in those 37 games as well. Very few players um, have gone across to the other sports and actually been as effective, uh, especially the top line players. You didn't really see them go across too often and he managed to do it very well. So for me, Big Dell, like the two best wingers that I've seen in my life I've always said Brett Morris. He's been completely underrated in his career as a winger and Wendell Saylor. And I remember that there was a poll on NRL.com of which there is, but you know, a couple of years ago of the greatest of all time team that the NRL was putting together and Wendell Saylor got there on one wing and he, he very rightly so. Unfortunately, El Masri got the other one. I love El Masri, but it should have been Brett Morris, but you know, Big Dell had controversy as well. Uh, and this is the other thing with his playing career for me, Lucky he, he was a real character and he still is. He's great to listen to on Triple M and everything else, but he was sort of out of the box as well. He always, and he played like that too, you know. He played hard, but he played to have a lot of fun as well. And before I hand over to you, Luke, I'll finish on by saying, you know, one of the great things that accentuates that was he had a massive ongoing rivalry with, with Mad Dog McDougall over at Newcastle Way, and that was phenomenal, you know. That was great to see those two tee each other up. So I loved Big Dill, and I really, you know, I rate him as someone that I felt it was a lot of fun to see him play, and I felt like a kid again. Uh, and it was, But it was also, you know, great to see his football and some of the, you know, things that he could put on with those McDougal rivalries and everything else.
0: Oh, he was absolute gun. Um, he, he was one of, yeah, he'd probably been the top, oh, he'd make my the best team I've ever seen on the wing. Um, he was, with the exception of Eric Groth aside, because he was sort of, you know, the generation before, he was a big winger. Um, Wendell was the first big modern winger, and he was probably the first, uh, really quick modern winger um eric Grace was very big but wendell was very very big and very 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 fast um it's easy to for younger people to think of sort of fat wendell at st george when he came back right at the end and was just <laughs> playing the back yeah. <laughs> and he was just big um, that's not what he was like before he left he was an absolute ferrari seriously um, i've seen a few of his games now on on my rugby league cemetery podcast and it's quite incredible how easily he beats people in 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 that like you look at him and he's so big but he he beats people with his swerve and pace as much as his size he's not just he's not like Manu Vadavai or or Semirad Raja running over people he can do that he also swerves around people and and beats people with pace and step as well like like a like a Brett Morris like he, he sort of has both elements of that to his game um you know I, he's very similar to like a Jonah Lomu to be honest um you know in a different code obviously where he just had everything he's just huge and quick and with a swerve and pace um you're right he was an entertainer he was extremely um like he gave a lot of sledging and a lot of big mouthing and everything but it was sort of always done it wasn't nasty. Like it was like, do you know what I mean? Like it was sort of like part of the theater was he'd be talking it up and talking about big Dell. on just day? wasn't he? Yeah, 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 it yeah, yeah, yeah. It, is. it is. It's different. It's not nasty. It's, it's that it's probably, um, you know, it's something you see a bit more in the NBA or something like some of the basketball is like yapping on and stuff. You don't see it much here. And it was, so it was a bit out of the box to see that here, but it never had, it never, it was confident, but I, I never thought it was overly arrogant or, or big headed. It was just, he knew he was good and you know talked it up which is which i said it's good like it, it builds character i used to you know you scream at him when he's playing against your team and all that but he he was he was a fantastic player the mad dog thing i used to love like i was in primary school when when they were really going at it um and so i used to love it there was a game where where him and McDougal were just going at each other and butting heads and then wendell came in for a run and McDougal came over the top and tried to like basically stiff arm him and missed with this big Superman over the top. And then Wendell went after him for doing it. And, they, and they, they punched on and stuff. And it was really exciting. I that yeah, yeah, it was, that so was exciting. I was about 11 and I was, I, could, I was so into it, you know, like, and, um and everyone was, and they were the first wingers to be like that. And they may be the only wingers ever to be like that. I can't think of, you know, you see like a chief uh, Mark Carroll thing, and you see forwards have rivalries or even halves sometimes, but I can't actually think of two other wingers that sort of had this mad, Rivalry, um, you know, in that way, like a physicality rivalry where they went at each other trying to bash each other like that. And um, well, they'd
1: get in trouble now, right? Because yeah. there were times when one of them would take a hit up and like you'd see Dell come off his wing to actually hit McDougal, you know, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the field and stuff. Yeah. And, like, you're not allowed to do that anymore, but it was great to see, you know, yeah, they, they, you, they, they really treated it. it like the opposite opposite number. So McDougal came, I remember, I remember specifically a time when McDougal came in to take a hit up in a game and Dell sort of was not quite right on the sideline, but he was out on his wing and he sort of jogged in because he saw McDougal in the middle and he waited and he went in and he absolutely belted him. And Mad Dog loved it. He got up with his arms flailing everywhere and legs kicking and everything and yeah. like they do. And then they went back to their wings, you know. Yeah. You're never going to see that
0: now. No, no, they were great. They were both the Australian wingers. Those two and Matt Rogers went, were the three wingers fighting for the, the 2000 World Cup spots. And, they, you know, McDougal was in and out with Rogers fighting with Rogers and Dell had the other one and they still like talk about that, like them two sledging Rogers about how they, you know, he was, he was a skinny little, not a real winger and all this stuff, like us big boys, and and given it and they reckon they were going it at it training and everything. It was great. It it made both of their careers and that they were um it, it led a generation of wingers that, that the thing with Wendell is um whilst he was better than a lot of the guys now. He's one of the best I've ever seen. He he also, like, he's what the forebear of the type of winger we see all the time now. Um, you know, he was the first big, powerful, fast winger and you almost can't play now without being that, right? Like, now you go through the game and it went Wendell and then came along Mad Dog and Lottie Jakiri off the back of him. Um, yep. And then you go around now and, like, Half the teams have got one. You know, you, you got your Sevos or your Rad Radgers and your Michaeli Ravelowers and you, you know your Brian Tottos, who's not as as tall but he's powerful and fast. And you almost mm-hmm. like it's almost a given now that the top wingers you, you you no longer see what you saw in the '90s, where you'd have like. Darren Albert skinny Darren Albert on the wing for Newcastle or or Matt Rogers like skinny guys who don't make many runs as good as Matt Rogers was I'm not packing Matt Rogers but you don't see that sort of player like a skinny guy who doesn't make a lot of carries survive on the wing in first grade now whereas that's all they were back then if you go to the 80s they're all skinny players and they score tries and they're important but they don't make 20 carries they don't make 10 carries but they just score tries and then by Wendell's time he was like I can score tries but um and credit to Wayne Bennett who allowed him to do it he was like you're also as big and as strong as our forward so you come in and make carries and him and Lottie um doing that at Brisbane around the turn of the century before they went to Union was phenomenal and so hard to handle and and it got to the point where everyone had to do that you know you Blake Ferguson's these days and all those sorts of guys um Katara Muatalo at Cronulla I'm just picking them off the top of my head but they're, they're it's none of those players were ever picked on the wing before Wendell Saylor that have all, you know, been playing in the forwards or or, or somewhere in the centre or somewhere else. You just didn't have wingers like this. He really did change how, what you were required to do to be a winger at the top level. He did.
1: And it was really underrated um, how much, and and people underrate it now because they sort of don't look at, even still wingers sometimes are maybe not um, looked at as importantly, but that, that Brisbane team, like, Wendell and Wattie were as important as all the halves that they had that uh, over those times, you know, like guys like Lockyer and Langer, you had Walters before that as well. When, when, um, when Wendell debuted and stuff. And then you had all these great forwards as well, like the web keys and all these other guys that were in their early days, it was Lazarus there for a bit. Yeah. You know, Wendell and Takiri, contributed to that team's success as much as any other cogs in that team. And they did that from the wing. You know, they were just... They were sensational and it was great to see. Um, and Wendell, if you if you only got to see Wendell like in the late 90s um, onwards, you know, go and look at his debut year and his sophomore year, second year, and his third year. Those first three years, he, de- he, he went and debuted for Australia when he was 20 years old and it was his second season in the NRL properly. And those first three years... You watch how many games like Luke said that he not only beats people with with his pace and agility and his stepping but how many times he scores a 70 meter try you know for a guy his size I think a lot of people would be surprised how many times he did things like that and it was Fantastic to see him in full flight. Look, Wendell Saylor, great Queensland player, great Australian player, great Brisbane Broncos and Dragons player as well. And and also we need to mention great Wallabies player. So I remember him as one of the best wingers I've ever seen. You know, deserves to be talked about. And especially because he's such a lighthearted fun guy now. He goes on Dancing with the Stars and everything else. I don't want his career to get forgotten. So he was a fun one to talk
0: about, Luke. Absolutely. Absolute gun. Do yourself a favour and go look at some YouTube stuff from the 90s. He is just a freak. It's unfair how quick he's moving.
1: <laughs> well, that'll wrap it up for part two of the Talking Footy podcast for this week. Luke, very much appreciate you coming on. Love talking footy with you. Love to hear your take on Magic Round after being there for the third year in a row. Thanks very much. I hope to get you back on real soon.
0: Pleasure, mate. Can't look forward to it.
1: Catch Luke as well on the Rugby League Cemetery podcast that he runs too, where you can listen to him and the Rugby League Cemetery boys talk about all the old games that they get to review. Uh, But for this podcast, make sure you download or stream us on Spotify. SoundCloud, iTunes, Amazon and Audible. Do give us a follow as well. Some good ratings is great too. It really helps. And also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And if you want to jump on Top Sport and create an account, SC All Stars is your promo code to get started today. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next Tuesday recording the TLT Supercoach podcast and back at the end of the week with another talking Footy podcast. Until then, enjoy round 11 of the footy, look up some old clips of Wendell Saylor and can't wait to talk about it all again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go
0: play Hey now, you're a rock star Get the show on, get paid